So today, um, the topic is delusion. And as I mentioned at the beginning, it's part of this month is on delusion. And it's part of a three months that we're spending on the topic of three poisons, greed, greed, hatred, and delusion. This is the second talk uh, that we're giving this month on this topic. Lindell gave us a really good introduction that covered a lot of the bases, a lot of the things that are important to consider. Today, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm approaching the talk with uh, the topic of how can we free ourselves of delusion? But, you know, to go into that, you know, there, there, are, a lot of, there are a lot of things that I, I, I'll, I'll give you a little bit about the structure of the talk. Uh, I find it helpful sometimes if I have a little outline to put content into. Um, so in this topic, how can we free ourselves of delusion? Uh, the first thing I kind of want to say is, you know, how to place delusion, how I think of delusion among the three poisons, among greed, hatred, and delusion. And I kind of want to spend a little bit of time convincing you that it's a worthwhile project this idea of freeing ourselves from delusion. Uh, and then after that, you know, how, what do we do? How do we, how do we catch delusion? And I'm going to bring up a few different points. Um, depending on how I think of it, there are either three or four points <laughs> that I want to make. Um, and I'll, I'll identify those as they come. Uh, but that's a little bit about the structure of the talk today. So to dive in, um, among these three poisons, so we call them poisons because they are things we, we all have in ourselves, greed, hatred, and delusion, that we want to uh, take some power away from or de-emphasize or move away from right? in order to further our practice, in order to further this awakening that we're trying to do. Of those, uh, delusion, delusion is often mentioned as the hardest to recognize. You know, uh, hatred, hatred has, is very palpable, right? We know when we're feeling hatred or experiencing hatred, at least we know often when we are. Uh, greed is similar. There are some aspects of greed that are subtle, but when we feel this sort of drawing towards something, you know, whether it's a thing that we wish we had or even, you know, the desire to click on something online, right? Whatever it is, we can kind of feel that pulling towards and there's something, there's something about it that's a little bit more tangible. Where uh, delusion is subtle because, you know, it, it, by definition, we can't see it. It's what's preventing us from seeing clearly. And so when we're in that fog of delusion, we're not, you don't, you don't even know it. How can we see the thing that's blocking us from seeing Delusion is also mentioned as underlying greed and hatred, you know, kind of being at the basis of why we experience those other two poisons. You know, when we think of greed, for example, um, Carrie Peterson uh, put it really well a couple of weeks ago when she gave a talk on this. She described delusion as the sheen of desirability on the object of our greed, right? It's 
it's why we would want to go after these things that are fundamentally not important or not, you know, not really at the, they're not really essential things that we need in life. They're not really uh, fundamental to us. They're not the most important things. We even know that. And yet there's something really desirable, something that really pulls us towards the things that we seek after, that we crave. So delusion is that sheen. It's that, that aspect, that quality of things that we desire that is elusive, an illusion, uh, you know, it, that, that provides the illusion that these are things that we really need or really want. When it comes to hatred, one way of thinking of delusion and how it underpins hatred is it's the fog that obscures the humanity of the object of our hatred. Right? To really hate someone or something, we have to reduce it. We have to not completely understand the reasons that it's lovable, the reasons that it's human, you know, if it's a person. And delusion is that ability, right? It's that fog that we put around it, that narrowing. It's one way of thinking about it. Those are the ways that come to mind for me when I think of how delusion underlies greed and hatred. So that's placing delusion among these three poisons. So why would we want to free ourselves of delusion? You know, there's some, this, this sounds obvious in some ways, right? But I think it's worth stating. Um, freeing ourselves of delusion means truly seeing clearly. It's no more or less important than all of that. Imagine what that means. This is seeing ourselves, seeing our thoughts, our feelings, our suffering, the causes of our suffering. Imagine seeing all of that clearly. The Dalai Lama, um, described the root cause of our unhappiness as being a lack of understanding. So understanding what, right? I think what's meant there is understanding how things really are. So the root cause of our unhappiness is not understanding how things really are. What looks like the cure to that? So it's still tied up in this idea of delusion and removing delusion from ourselves. So imagine freeing yourself of the chains of your ego. Now, all the stories we tell ourselves to protect ourselves, how we were right, how the other person was wrong, how our team or family or political party has the moral high ground, right? You know, all of these things that we do. If we could see clearly, we would realize what of that is true and what of that is really just uh, is, is delusion. It's wrapped up in a way of protecting ourselves. So the real challenge in convincing anyone that this is a worthy project is not in explaining how delusion is a big deal 
and how freeing ourselves of delusion would do all these great things. I think the real challenge is convincing ourselves that we are deluded and that we need this. Um, at least I, I, I'll speak for myself, but I think I speak for a lot of folks that, and to admit this, you know, I, I can be self-effacing and I can tell all kinds of stories about ways in which I'm deluded, but sometimes I don't really internalize that sense. Like it's easier for me to sort of be self-effacing in public or to say something in public and secretly inside of myself, a part of me just doesn't believe it. A part of me really thinks that like, I, you know, I, I, it's, this is for other people, you know? Um, and I think of, I think of all of these ways. So I'll, I'll give some examples just to make this palpable, right? Like, I want us to start by thinking of all the people we know and the ways in which they are deluded, right? This is easier to access for us. It's pretty clear, you know, when we see a, we, we're every week, at least every week, probably every day, I go around and think of the ways in which people interacting with me might be deluded in some way or the other. And sometimes it really hits, right? Like um, here's a recent example, you know, a son of a friend, um, who is about my age, uh, he's, he's very, very bright, and he, he's an alcoholic. And he recently stopped drinking, and a lot of things started to come into line for him. And he, he just wrote a letter uh, to my friend, who's his mother, who and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to start drinking again. And the reason is I've done this for three months now, and I can see that I can do this. I can I cannot do this yeah. drinking. And so, you know, I think, I think it'll be absolutely fine. I think I'm just going to go back to this and I'll do this because I know that I can quit it anytime I want to. And I can go back to these benefits of, of not drinking. And so probably all of us listening to this can, can kind of see a delusion in this, right? We might think of it differently. Uh, but, you know, very clearly in that, what I see or what I think I see Maybe this is my own delusion, but what I think I see is the strength, the power of the desire to have a drink and the ways in which we can engineer a rationale uh, that lets us have it, right? So it's really easy to see in some cases when it's when we're talking about other people. But there are strong desires in all of our lives, aren't there? And I, I can see the ways that I engineer reasons for acting a certain way, you know, to, because, because it makes it easier to do the thing that I'm really craving or wanting to do. Sometimes the subtlest ways in which I delude myself that I don't need this, that I don't need you know, I'm not deluded, in, at least in some way, right? Like in some aspect of myself, I can tell myself I'm not deluded. Is, you know, we can think of ourselves, like, you know, the, one of the excuses I put up is, and maybe, maybe we can all relate to this, is when we see someone else delude themselves, we think, well, I've done all this work. <laughs> I'm meditating. I'm, I'm, I'm on this project to awaken. So like, you know, I don't do things in the way that person I'm seeing does these things. Uh, but, you know, what I notice in myself is that 
even the people I really hold up as paragons of wiseness, I can find even in those people some ways that they're deluded, right? We, maybe we can all relate to this. There are people in our lives who we think of as really wise. They really have it together, and there are aspects of those people that we really, you know, we really look up to and we maybe want to embody or have someday. And even in those people, there are these things that make us smile about the ways they delude themselves. Like, I'll give the example of my grandfather. There are so many ways in which I look up to him. He, he has spent 85 years meditating daily at this point. A little more, 80, 88 years um, since he started at the age of 12. And... You know, it's really, really clear when you meet him that he's just one of these people. He's just, he's humble and he's joyous and he's all these things. But there are times when, oh my goodness, does his delusion come up? You know, I was, he lives in India and I was with him a year ago, a little less than a year ago. And we were watching, so uh, we were watching this news channel and one of the news channels in India is, you know, it's it's just become sort of a, a government mouthpiece. <laughs> and I, I remember, this wasn't a year ago, this was a, a few years ago, I remember in particular. This is the one I want to give, uh, not not from a year ago. But we were watching uh, that, that news program, and it was telling us how a war that was occurring in the North was not occurring. You know, it was like, there's been no conflict in Kashmir and Jammu, you know, which were areas that were heated for quite a while. And there was a big conflict between India and Pakistan, and it was affecting people on the ground. And the news channel was just telling us that that, that was just nonsense, that none of that existed. Um, and my grandfather was eating this up. And he was, and I was like, well, you know, that there's all this evidence that there's a war over there. <laughs> You know, and he's like, no, and he's explaining to me all the reasons why there wasn't and how, you know. And it, the truth is this same channel used to be actually very trustworthy, um, and it's become not very trustworthy um, in recent years. And I was just thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, I can see the delusion here. Why do I mention all of this? Because even in the people in my environment who I think of as the most wise, the most enlightened, we can see the delusion in others pretty easily. So just applying cold, hard logic to that, we have got to be deluded ourselves. We have got to be deluded in ways that we ourselves cannot see. You know, this is something that this guy who's been meditating for 88 years cannot see. What are the ways in which I and you are deluded in ways that we cannot see? Right? We can't answer that question, actually, <laughs> right? Um, so this is all to motivate that this is an important project. We all live in this fog of delusion, whether or not we believe it, whether or not we can see it. In fact, because we can't see it. So what do we do? How do we catch it? So first I want to mention one thing that, um, that is in the way. And that is this idea of self and identity, you know, what we often call ego, right, in informal terms. And why is it in the way? Because seeing delusion really means telling ourselves we're wrong about something. 
we're wrong maybe about something that we've held dear for a long time, maybe about something that is central to our sense of ourselves, something that really we protect. So dismantling that kind of delusion is painful. It means dismantling our constructed identities, you know, these things that are really fundamental to our sense of ourself. You know, I'll give you one example that's personal. Um, you know, aside from doing this, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm an economist and a data person, data, a data science person. And I had this, I, I had this, I, I still kind of do, but I, I'm letting go of this identity that boy, am I good at my field. You know, I'm really, I know the way to do these things. I know the way to think about data and about uh, causality and all these things that are part of my field. And what's happened in the years since I finished uh, my studies is that the field has changed rapidly. And I spent a lot of time kind of poo-pooing everything that was new that was coming out that I wasn't trained in, that wasn't part of my studies. And I would tell myself, it's so obvious now when I think of this, it wasn't at all, at all obvious to me when this was happening. Uh, I would decide all the new people who were purport, purporting these new ideas and these new methods and these new ways of studying things, they didn't really understand the fundamentals. And you know, they, there, was, there was a lot they just weren't getting. And you know, I, I kept kind of saying that and these new methods took over. And I spent all this time lamenting how the discipline was just being taken over by these untested ideas that, you know, just weren't, you know, it didn't make any sense and really weren't grounded in the fundamentals. And without delusion, I might have instead asked, if these were such terrible methods, why were they rapidly gaining popularity? Why was everyone starting to do these things? Could it be because they were better than the old ways? Could it be because of the things I was kind of shaking my fist at and saying, these are the fundamentals? You know, maybe I was just doing that because those were the things I knew and was comfortable with. And maybe they were supporting this identity that I was really good at this stuff. And these new things I didn't really understand so well. Right? So they weakened that constructed identity. They kind of challenged this identity that I really knew everything in this field. And when I think about it, that's a much more plausible answer <laughs> than the answer that these new ideas, these new methods are just, you know, they're, they're just a load of hooey, but they've somehow taken over the field by people who don't really understand what's going on. So yeah, so there are these ways in which it's painful to dismantle uh, delusion because it means dismantling identities means really, it really touches our ego uh, in a lot of ways. And so what do we do? Our minds naturally steer us away from even attempting to look at those things. They're painful. And that's why delusion becomes hard to see. So if we can approach this project with humility, this task of dismantling, getting around delusion with humility, and we have a chance. And step one of that is kind of swallowing our pride and accepting that we are just like all the people we see us ar around us who live in delusion. You know, 
if we can grow to accept that, we can slowly begin to see the fog of delusion that surrounds us. And then step two, only when we see that fog can we begin to move out of it. So if you catch yourself in any situation thinking, oh, I don't have the same problems as so-and-so because I'm a meditator, you know, let a warning bell ring in your head. Let that be a warning bell. (laughs) Yeah, identity as a meditator, that's a big, big identity, isn't it? And it disproportionately affects those who meditate. So so that's, that's thing number one. There is this big thing in the way of our project, which is this ego and identity. And just knowing that and acknowledging it is, is an important step. Another thing to mention here, when you put energy into something, into some project, ask, what is this feeding? This, by the way, this suggestion comes from Lauren, who's in our audience today and isn't speaking this month. So I, w- I really liked this idea that she mentioned earlier. I wanted to put this out there. So when you put energy into something, what is this feeding? Is it feeding my heart or is it feeding my ego? So this is a way we can catch ourselves, right? Lauren mentioned that she has a, a sort of checklist. You know, whenever she sees energy going in a direction, I hope I'm paraphrasing you correctly. Um, is this making my ego happy or my heart happy? Right? Sometimes we create a story in which, oh, if I go and do this thing, I put energy into this, I invest in this idea or this direction, it's going to make me happy. And when you do this kind of interrogation, you kind of go at the source of, well, what do I mean? What's actually being fed? You might realize that this is actually a pretty empty project. This is, you're defending yourself or protecting yourself rather than really putting energy into something that's growing you, something that your heart really wants. And getting in touch with your heart is kind of a, a, pre, uh, a precursor to this. You know, we can't do this without being connected to our hearts, this, this way of understanding what we truly need and what, what really nurtures us. The place where I can see this most clearly come into place is relationships. I'm strong-willed, and I have a partner who is also strong-willed. We both have lots of confidence that, you know, the best practices we've developed for managing our lives are the best practices for managing our lives. You know, so, you know, we can, you know, so, so I'll often get advice on, you know, what kitchen advice, what kitchen devices I really ought to have in my kitchen. Or, you know, I, you know, the best ways to manage my, uh, my time efficiently and I'll get this advice and it'll really prick at me, you know, because I'll feel like, you know, I, I got this. I, I have this under control and I do this. I, I do this to her too. Um, and my ego gets reactive because I feel like someone else, Oh, someone else is coming in and trying to manage my life. But if I put that manage my life quote in more accurate terms, it's really that my ideas of how to best manage my own life are being challenged. So when I start to push back, when I start to resist and think, I don't want to do these things. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to organize my kitchen this way. I don't want to take these suggestions. What I, you know, what am I feeding when I put energy into that? Is this something that truly is going to make my life better? Is it it something, am I following my heart? 
or am I, or am I defending my ego? Right. So if I if I ask myself that question anytime I start to push into this resistance, you know, I can sometimes see what's going on, what I'm really doing. Rodney Stone had this quote. Well, I don't know if it's a quote. This is the idea. If you see suffering, you might want to check on its foundation. It could be delusion. If you see suffering, when you notice suffering, you might want to check on its foundation. It could be delusion. So the way I relate to this is sometimes when I put energy into something, I start to feel an unease in myself, a suffering, right? And many of us are attuned to when we start to feel suffering, right? Sometimes I can begin to recognize that the suffering is because of some internal conflict. And I'll recognize that the internal conflict is that I'm putting energy into something that is fundamentally delusionary. And some other part of me recognizes that and is kind of nagging at me, nagging wisely at me about it. So sometimes you just get this sense, I'm putting into energy, I'm putting energy into something that, that just doesn't feel right. And we can interrogate that. Sometimes we find that at the heart of it, there's something delusionary. There's something that we're, we're trying to do something that is because of these stories we tell ourselves, these ways we're trying to protect ourselves, often our ego, protecting our ego. So one thing I want to mention before we turn over and go into discussions is one way to counter the pain that our egos suffer when we recognize delusion is to recognize that delusion is impersonal. It's an energy that afflicts us, right? And it afflicts everyone. You know, if when I was faced with delusion, if when I realize, oh, there's a tension here, I start that process and I realize, oh, there's something delusionary here. Or if I realize when I'm pushing back at something my partner is saying, which is really good advice, but it kind of rattles my own sense of, you know, this is, it's not the way I would have done things. You know, when I realize that it's a delusion, it can at first feel really painful. You know, it, it, you get to the source that there's, there's something that your ego is defending. And even when you recognize that you're, sorry, that you're defending your ego, even when you recognize you're defending your ego, I get a little disappointed sometimes. Oh, am I really doing this thing? It feels so petty when you realize what you're doing. But if we saw this as something external, right, rather than a source of personal shame or failing, it's easier to manage. You know, oh, here's delusion. Here, you know, here it's marched into my environment. Here it comes, just like a cloud entering the sky. If we recognize how universal this experience is, it's a little easier. And the story of the Buddha and Mara, right, is all about this. Mara is an impersonation of delusion. Mara is constantly marching into the picture, right? And there's this wonderful way that the Buddha, especially post-enlightenment, greets Mara in all of the stories. Like, oh, there's Mara, come, have tea, you know? 
If we could, if we could see our own, if we could meet the recognition of delusion, the recognition when we find ourselves in delusion, with that kind of impersonality, oh, here it is, it's just an energy, it's just something that comes, you know, it could be a lot less painful to deal with. And we could invite it a little bit more. We could invite that kind of inquiry. I think that's enough for now. So I'll just go over the things I mentioned very quickly. So what do we do about delusion? First, know what's in the way. And a thing that I mentioned is very often is self and identity, what we often call ego. That's in the way. Second, take anytime we find ourselves putting energy into something, or suffering something, take that moment to pause and see what's at the source of it. Oh, I'm really going strong on this thing. I'm really moving towards this project. Well, where, what, what am I feeding? Oh, I've, I've started to move in this direction. I feel a tension. I feel a suffering. Maybe it feels like a cognitive dissonance, part of us warring with another part. What's going on there? Sometimes we can catch these things, catch ourselves in the act. And lastly, to be a little easy on ourselves. This is something everyone faces. It's impersonal. It's just this energy of delusion. So knowing that everyone has this, not putting ourselves above the others who we see in our midst experiencing delusion. We can, with, this, with a bit of humility, we can bear this more easily. Okay. Thank you. We'll break into groups now and have a few moments to discuss whatever has come up here. We don't have, we can get personal, but we don't have to here. You can reveal as much or as little about yourself in these discussions as you want. One inquiry, you can think of the times that delusion has come up in your life or recently, but we don't have to point it at ourselves. We can think of examples we've seen out in the wild, or ways in which in the past we've seen and overcome delusion. These are things that might surface to you. If anything else has come up during this talk or during your meditation, you can discuss that too, and feel free to. So I'll divide us now into groups of three or four. All right, welcome back, everyone. So there's a little time now for us to bring up with the larger group uh, any questions that arose, any comments. Uh, I wanted to mention a couple of things. Anything that came up in um, your group discussion, if it came from someone else, uh, just to hold any sharing that occurred, um, you know, with with uh, with with the appropriate amount of. Um, confidentiality and a respect for what someone might have shared in a smaller group. Um, and with that in mind, um, sharing anything that uh, came up for you or something that is you could reflect on in a, in a, in a, in a less direct way that came up that someone else mentioned, uh, or questions. Yeah. And as a way of raising a question, 
um, probably the best way or the, is to uh, raise your hand through Zoom. So if you click the reactions button, for me, it's at the bottom of my, uh, my Zoom screen. There's a raise hand function there. That's probably the best way, but if you can't work that, you can also um, unmute yourself and uh, we can try to do it that way too. Yeah, Claire. I said, I didn't know I finally hit down that button. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I appreciate your talk so much. Thank you very much. And our small group was really rich also. But, you know, I, I find that this one, more than greed and hatred, this one is a little uh, bit um, hopeless to me because it just feels so big. It feels like, it, you know, it just feels like, how, how do I crack it? it? This is huge. Like, I don't know. It's a little overwhelming. Yeah. Help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, I can appreciate that. It is it is big and it's hard because it envelops us and it's hard to see through. Mm -hmm. It's also it's also the one where any progress we make along it is I think vast in terms of its moving us forward along this path of awakening. And if we were to think of the entire removing of delusion, right? We're, we're talking, you know, I, I can't speak with authority on this, but we, you know, we're talking about something like the completion of the entire project, <laughs> right? It, can, if you can imagine what it takes to rid ourselves entirely of delusion and where we would be if we could do that. You know, we, if you, even if you look at the Buddha's stories, Mara makes appearances all the time after Buddha is enlightened. Delusion keeps coming up for the Buddha after enlightenment. Mm -hmm. It's just the way that it's treated that changes, right? The way that his relationship to Mara when Mara appears is what changes. It's the kind of this more, it's not, this, you know, fundamental challenge to the project. It's more like, ah, oh, there you are. <laughs> yeah, I know you. <laughs> you know, it's kind of that attitude towards the end. So, yes, it is a big thing and a hard thing. But any increment we can make, and we can incrementally see our delusions to some degree. You know, you can probably remember times when you caught yourself and you're like, oh, Wow, was I, what was I doing? You know, you can remember the times you caught yourself and we can work on increasing the number of times we do that. And it's just so valuable anytime we can do that. We're dismantling so much at once. You know, it, we're, we're also chipping away at this ego project, right? As we do this, it, it's encouraging that humility that don't know, you know, just seeing the vastness of this project, as you're mentioning, has it not? You know, we see the size of, of what we have to work with. You're partly in doing that, seeing the own extent, the, your own extent of delusion, right? You know, that, that's a big thing. So I, I suppose in broad strokes, I would say, don't discount how important all the little steps in between can be. 
even if the whole project seems like a massive one. You know. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Judith. Judy. Judith. Yeah. Judith, I'm sorry. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, I was Judy when I was little, but yeah. now I'm grown up. So. Of course. Yeah. Um, well, what definitely I do catch myself yeah. a lot more than I used to. But what really struck me today was, first of all, listening to you and then listening to the other people in my group is I identify with everything you said and everything they said. And, and I was beginning to think, my, you know, is there any form of delusion that I don't have? You know, it's like, Oh yeah, I do that too. And I do that and I do that. And, and it's, it's really useful because, you know, to hear other people talk because, um, first of all, it helps me identify some of the ways I slip into illusion, but also it, it's very comforting to know that, yeah, everybody, everybody has this problem. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I wish, I wish um, you could speak right after Claire spoke instead of me, because <laughs> that, that about sums it up, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Everyone it's, that is part of the comfort in this for me. This is so universal, this experience. Um, and yeah, and, and as you mentioned, and as I said earlier, like there's a lot of progress implied. There's a lot of value to just recognizing the size of this thing, just how much of it is it we have. Yeah. Yeah. Thank and you. How, and how many levels, how many, uh, how complicated it is, really. Yeah, yeah. Can you say a little bit more about the levels? I'm really curious to. Well, okay. One thing we were talking about is like, okay, on the one hand, there's, um, say for me, there's like a, a, an issue that's kind of a long-term issue that's going yeah. on and on and on and on. And I have on one, on the one hand, I have a, a real aversion to something and a real desire to just avoid it mm-hmm. and, and escape from whatever it is. And on the other hand, I have this desire to just grit my teeth and fix it, you know, and I, I know that they're, that both, both those sides are, are delusions Mm. and there's some middle path that I'm not seeing clearly and that it's going to require patience, which is not, natural to me and you know i was like kind of steering my way through all the pitfalls mm-hmm. you know and then and and how my mind is just it just comes up with all these things well, you should do this or well you know and on and on and, yeah 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 so it's you're not even done when you when you think you might be there's <laughs> There's so much behind the first recognition of delusion. Yeah. Right. Right. And all the different ways that the mind comes up to, um, well, I guess to protect the ego, to protect the identification of self. And it just yeah. it's endlessly creative. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for elaborating too. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, Anel, or is it actually tell me your name because I know that you're not. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Anel. This is Josh. Josh, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is kind of a big thought response, um, but like thinking back to how the Buddha approached some of these things, whether it was approaching news of a great sage that had like incredible wisdom and a source of value or. I think there were some stories of the Buddha encountering like thieves or encountering people with different problems, like hearing news of these people that had various problems, like his kind of just openness and emptiness and like being too attached to knowing that this person is the wisest or that person is the most terrible and Mm -hmm. being able to hear news and hear all these stories of things without having some great ego attachment idea to like, how much he knows about those things necessarily. So the wisdom and the way to, yeah, the path to kind of discovering some of the delusion um, being maybe not necessarily thinking in so much knowledge and so much information about other things as just like looking into yourself, looking to being present with when anger hatred, greed, aversion, even uh, attachment or like some kind of, uh, what's the opposite of aversion? The Craving? Craving, yeah. Like even just the, yeah, enjoyment of something. Like even that can be a creation of suffering. So like your quote, all of these things are things that, are the like initial seeds that can bring us towards that suffering and discovering that foundation where delusion kind of may, yeah, takes root, yeah. source and uh, those like indications that maybe we are being pulled into some forms of delusion and having the wisdom to, yeah, look inside ourselves more deeply for, yeah, yeah, than understanding where that's coming from inside yeah you brought up a lot that that seems really relevant um one is that sort of that don't know mind and that humility right like that attitude that comes from that you mentioned the buddha having uh that isn't sort of grounded in this ego or this sense that we know everything um that can be really helpful to approach this with right you know if we if we can approach this with humility right um, we're, we're just going to be much more able to see what, what's there. Um, what, what's, you know, the, see that fog of delusion. Then you mentioned all of the, all of the things that act upon us and all the things that we can identify, uh, as they come up that help us in this process of uncovering delusion. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminds me as you're talking about how so many of the things we cover from month to month or year to year are connected. And, you know, we will talk one month about, you know, looking at craving and aversion and another month about, you know, addressing delusion. And there's so many ways in which we're pointing at the same thing, you know, from different directions also. Thanks for bringing all of that up. All right. It's about 11.29, so I'd like to briefly go over some of the announcements, the things that are going on at SIMS over the next month.